Welcome to Time Out for Anesthesia. In these episodes, you'll hear a variety of experts discuss data, analytics, and strategies that can help you modernize and empower your anesthesia practice. We want this podcast to really benefit you, so if you have any questions or a specific topic you'd like Time Out to discuss, you can email us at timeout at graphiumhealth.com. Enjoy the episode. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Time Out for Anesthesia. My name is David Henderson. I'm your host. And with us this week is a really cool guest. Um, I've been able to see a couple of his podcasts so far. His podcast is called APM Success. He also has another website called APM Wealth. I'm going to ask him to talk about both of them. But his name is Justin Harvey. Justin Harvey, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Thank you, David. I'm very pleased to be here. I'm doing great. I'm excited for this conversation. Yeah, me too. I'm I'm thrilled to have you on. Um, Justin, tell us a little bit about your background. So APM success, you said you're before we were talking and you said you're 140 episodes in, which is fantastic. Um, tell us a little bit about um, your background and kind of your what happened before all of this and how did you get where you are? Yeah, well, the main reason we're having this discussion is because I am, as they would say, married to the game. So uh, my <laughs> wife is a practicing anesthesiologist out here in Portland, Oregon. There you go. Uh, I met her five or six years ago. I was out here on a long weekend and I'm from Pennsylvania. Originally grew up in Pittsburgh, lived in wow. Philly for 15 years. And uh, for a while, had a long distance relationship with an MS4 that turned into a, a marriage <laughs> to a resident. And and now she's an attending. We have a two and a half year old, and the rest is history, as they say. That's awesome. That's um, a two and a half year old. I, so you you are um, you have some adventure going on in your life. Oh man, we're we're in the thick of it right now. No question. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> life is never boring, but just very joyous and and grateful for that. Awesome. Um, and as I got to know my my now wife uh, and the challenges that her and her many many of her peers were facing, uh, I my background is as a financial advisor. I'm a CFP. I've been doing this since 2010. I launched my own firm five years ago uh, with with a broader mandate uh, than it currently has. But as I got to know Sarah, my wife, and the challenges that her peers face in trying to look at different practices, understand contracts, compensation models for physicians, look at the job market, and and what does it mean to build wealth as a doctor who, you know, as a resident, you're making X, as an attending, you're making 5X, you often have student loans, you're trying to build a family, buy a house, a lot of complexity around all these things. Um, It became apparent that there was enough specific challenges to do a specialty specific uh, financial planning business. So APM Wealth is the financial planning and investment management company that I run. Anesthesia and pain management is what that stands for, serving uh, physicians of those specialties. And APM Success is the podcast that I've had a lot of fun with over the last few years, just talking to many experts and asking them all of the things that I wish that I knew on the record and then pushing it out to anyone who will listen. So that's been a lot of fun. Well, we did um, a little bit earlier on, we did two episodes uh, with a CPA and he came on and you've had a couple of episodes with CPAs yourself. Yes. yes. Um, and of course, our our uh, podcast kind of ranges all over the place from uh, from CPAs to podcast hosts to um, just doctors, CRNAs, things like that. Um, I will say this, it remains 
our most popular episodes. Uh, those two episodes remain the most popular, most listened to, which kind of sets off some bells and whistles. I'm thinking that what you do is pretty essential. Do you run across is I, I'm just guessing that these challenges, especially since you've based your entire career, you've narrowed down around them, that these challenges are pretty prevalent. Yeah, I can tell you exactly why that is. Is because if any doctor looks at their year-end W-2 and they see they made X, I probably 0.4 of X went to Uncle Sam. Right. And so understanding how to pay less in taxes as a physician is your, it's your biggest expense. And it's okay. the area, especially if you have any self-employment income where you have the most opportunity to move the needle in terms of creating some free cash that wasn't there before. So especially right. here in Oregon, which is a pretty high income tax part of the world, uh, that is an area of keen interest of mine and of many of my clients, no question. Got it. Yeah, that makes that makes all the sense in the world. Um, yeah, and I'll um, I'll link that episode here and I'll send you a copy too. It's really, awesome. really good. Um, and if you want details for the, the guy that did it, Glenn Henderson, um, if you want to get in touch with him, I'm sure he'd be glad to be on your show. So yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, that'd be great. Um, so tell me a little bit more. So diving into the world of anesthesia and pain management, talk to us about some challenges that you address in the podcast. What, what are some hot topics that have come up that you think everybody kind of needs to key in on? Yeah. So there are some that are specialty specific, others that are more just healthcare specific okay. uh, as it relates to anesthesia. And it's cousin pain management. Um, anesthesia is a specialty that is a little bit unusual in that anesthesia companies and the way that they function are a little bit outside of uh, the, the healthcare system proper. There's often anesthesia groups functioning autonomously that contract with hospitals, surgery centers, for example, that have employees right. of the group or partners of the group, but they're not actually hospital employees. Mm -hmm. That creates really interesting, uh, uh, a lot of complexity that it's helpful to understand um, sure. when you're looking at jobs and careers and understanding what does it mean to be a partner at a group like that. So an area of interest of mine is just looking at all the different permutations of anesthesia employment and or partnership and helping, especially younger physicians who are kind of building their career and vetting different job opportunities, helping them understand the difference between working for, you know, a big uh, like anesthesia management company versus a, a physician owned group versus hospital employment versus an academic center uh, in a more, you know, continuing on the academic track. Each of those has its own unique profile in terms of income, compensation mechanism, benefits, uh, and the things you need to do to build wealth in any of those scenarios. And so uh, pulling the curtain back a little bit and shortening the learning curve, helping someone to not make a bad decision and then learn from that decision. And then the second job they take be the real one that they actually wanted to begin with. To, right. I can eliminate that mistake. It's uh, something sure. they're eager to do. Mm -hmm. um, and especially, uh, you know, locums opportunities in the anesthesia world is uh, something that's becoming more and more popular and more and more needed. One of the, um, I guess you could call it a, a paradox that we're seeing right now in anesthesia employment is that any specific anesthesiologist or CRNA or any specific group is has some risk built into that uh, employment, that engagement. But at a macro level, we need more anesthesia as a society than we've ever needed. And we, we need more doctors. We need more CRNAs. We can't make them fast enough. Demand is super high. And yet at a micro level, any specific job, any specific practice, you're still in danger of losing your job. 
um, you're still in danger of that hospital putting out an RFP and like kicking you to the curb for group right. XYZ. And so um, plan that creates a lot of planning opportunities. And it also, you know, in terms of locums, you can be a locums physician. You can move around from between different sites of service and essentially be your own business, get 1099 income. That creates a lot of flexibility in terms of uh, okay. financial planning opportunity. And so these are all topics that as it relates to anesthesia, have their own unique flavor that I try to, right. as much as possible, educate my listeners about. Right. Um, <clears throat> so I, you're making a whole lot of sense. And when you talk about kind of the risks inherent inside of the industry and the flexibility you can build through locums work, are there any other, what are some other ways that they can kind of um, create some buffer between them and that risk uh, if it does a- come knocking on their door? Great question. I th- I think that's actually a great phrase, like creating buffer, creating margin. That's one of the things that I really try hard to do. I, I use the analogy of like, my client is the castle and we try to build as big of a moat as possible yeah, around yeah, them exactly. so that all the forces of healthcare that are right now grinding doctors into powder before our very eyes, creating <laughs> all-time high burnout. And you know, I've, mm-hmm. I have many very close friends who I just, you can, sometimes you can see it in their eyes. It's jarring, depressing. And I want to do my own little part as much as I can to try to create that buffer. Um, One of the things that I think is a great idea, if possible, is to have any kind of outside income. So if you're an anesthesiologist and you're making money from your W-2 gig, your main job, if you negotiate this up front, you have to build it in on the front end. When you're signing an employment agreement and looking at the prospective rules of employment, if you can make it so that you're able to, for example, do medical legal work, uh, expert witnessing, consulting with um, you know device companies or pharma or whatever, if you're able to leave the door open for those things, then you can make an extra 50, 75, 100 grand in the evenings and on weekends. And that extra money, obviously, you can do a lot of things with it. You can save and build wealth. You can uh, invest in yourself and enrichment for education and other, it, it just, it beget, it creates a virtuous feedback cycle that uh, is really, really helpful. And it. it also decreases the need to, you know, if your main gig, if your 1.0 FTE situation is sucking the life out of you, you can go to 0.8 or 0.6 much more readily if you leave the door open for those outside employment opportunities. Right. Uh, depending on your employer, they may or may not want to play ball, but you'll never know unless you push for that. And I always encourage physicians that this is one area in which I think doctors are taken advantage of, frankly, is whenever um, a hospital or a group says, you know, you can work for us, but we own you. We own everything you do. Any good idea that you have, any book that you write, we get a piece of that. And you're not allowed to do anything unless we tell you. Personally, I think that's ridiculous. I think we should have doctors provide excellent clinical care when they're on the clock and at night. Or on weekends, if they want to start a business with their friends that has nothing to do with their clinical work or is related but not competing with their employer, they should have every right to do that. Doctors can do that, but you need to negotiate it up front. Well, and I would imagine that's not a huge part of your education um, when you're you're becoming a doctor. When you're becoming a provider, I doubt somebody's sitting there. So I wonder um, how often you come across people who are like, man, I wish I would have just had this advice before I started. Frequently. I mean, I frequently see that, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's also, I'm a little bit of a conspiracy theorist and that I think we, the system wants to keep doctors in the dark, turn them into replaceable cogs so that they don't ask questions and they take what they're given. And I'm, uh, 
trying to level the playing field. Yeah, well, and they're so much more valuable <laughs> than that. You're trying to you're trying yes. to get them to leverage the correct amount of value that they have. And that's I think right. That's super commendable. Um, well, but it seems like you find your work fulfilling. Uh, you clearly oh, have. A I love what I do. I love it. Good. Yeah, that's awesome. And it can't hurt. It can't hurt that you're able to connect with your wife over issues like that as well. And and the other way, I'm sure she offers you a lot of uh, feedback as well. Um, I feel like I feel like you're right. I feel like the world, the more we do these episodes, the more we talk, even with Graphium Health, the more we talk about software and um, the way that the anesthesia providers relate to not just the world of healthcare, but even their specific circumstances, like whether or not they have a voice with the IT department, things yeah. like that. It's all so nuanced um, and so unique. Um, and yeah. that, you know, the other episode that we did with the CPA, there were things that related specifically to anesthesia providers that would relate really to nobody else. Obviously there are generic healthcare ideas, but then there's just some things that relate specifically to anesthesia providers. And so resources like yours, um, and like an episode that we did with anesthesia guidebook and things like that are just, I find them so tremendous because I also think that anesthesia oftentimes, because they are so niche, um, they often go overlooked. I would imagine there's not a lot of financial planners who have decided to narrow in just on um, anesthesia and pain management. Yeah, I'm the only one that I know of so far. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But you can I'm, ask Google; they may, they may enlighten us. I, you know, and I, of course, when we were trying to get you to come on the show, we did. I mean, I looked around, and there's just. There are healthcare and they're doctor specific, but um, to be anesthesia focused, I think is insanely valuable um, because you clearly have the insight that's needed uh, that are for some things that apply specifically to them. Yeah. So, and I'll give you one other example, just of something do. that I've seen that I think is very uh, impactful to this space that we're seeing right now. And it's actually, it also applies to like radiology pathology, emergency. And it's the, the No Surprises Act that we saw that went live in January. Right. Anesthesia is one of those specialties that is deeply and significantly profoundly impacted. Yes. And it's still being worked out in real time in the courts, exactly what it means. And I'm sure you probably know, like with the um, arbitration process and the way that out-of-network rates are set, this is an important thing to be able to ask prospective employers, or if you're working in a group and you're a partner, you want to understand how is our group addressing the potential seismic shift represented by the No Surprises Act, which on one hand limits liability to an individual patient. And I think we all agree is a good thing. But on the other hand, it can essentially be the baseball bat that insurers use to hit anesthesia groups with. Right. Um, and and again, the, the degree to which that is true is still being worked out in the courts. And it's a there's five or six court cases right now uh, that are going to determine that. But understanding that there is this thing that just happened, it's an existential risk to some practices. If practices don't have an infrastructure to be able to handle the arbitration process and advocate for themselves and certain rates in front of an independent third party, then that creates potentially an existential risk for your group. That's right. not true for every specialty. It is true for anesthesia and a couple totally others right. because of this act. So Totally right. Um, yeah, we found ourselves that when we talk about, I mean, not just the No Surprises Act, but anything financial, um, anything that concerns revenue, um, anesthesia, again, once again, anesthesia is the low man on the totem pole. 
um, often the last person considered, which means their needs are the last things considered, things like that. When you walk in, for instance, when you walk in for um, a procedure, you're met up front and you need to, you probably talk with somebody up front and they're there to collect some money for you from you up front. There's a really good chance that one thing they're not going to collect money for is anesthesia, right? So we're running into this problem of, well, when I don't go home and pay my bills, well, at least the hospital, right? At least the surgeon were able to collect some money up front. Um, but anesthesia, on the other hand, collected nothing up front. And so this, again, you know, with um, politics and revenue cycle management and all this stuff, it's like, it's like anesthesia just kind of goes over. Like it's been the, the technology world as well, right? Um, they're just, when you talked about electronic medical records, nobody ran to the table to be the first to come up with the anesthesia electronic medical record, right? Yeah. Uh, you have the Epics and the Meditechs and the Cerners and people like that um, who, were, who are big players and made big complex systems and things like that. Um, but it's only relatively recently that really anesthesia has gotten kind of any attention in that world. So I find that to be kind of a, kind of a common thread. Yeah. And I think in some, to some extent, it sort of uh, maps onto the personality of most anesthesiologists that I know. They're not, yeah. they don't go into anesthesia because they want to be the rock star. Right. Like, look at me, look what I just did. Um, they're often holding things together in the OR, but are right. um, content to, to not be in the limelight. And yeah. uh, I think that's, that's a commendable character quality on one hand, right. but on the other, it, it can lend itself to, um, you know, getting steamrolled or taking advantage yeah, of being taken you advantage don't of self advocate. Sure. Nobody else is going to do it for you. Right. The unfortunate truth of the world we live in. Well, and, and that becomes now that that falls into your realm, right? So you're right. exactly what you stand for is how to teach them to fend for themselves. The things that you're talking about negotiating certain things up front probably isn't very comfortable, but it's very necessary. Yeah. Cause I can guarantee awesome. you if I went, if I was going into a surgery and they said, you know, you got to pay for the anesthesia, I would be thinking, well, okay, I need that. Right. <laughs> I don't want to get cut open without it. And so, yeah. you know, if I'm paying everyone else, I, it is what it is. So Exactly. Yeah. If you could know about it up front, like, well, you cannot have anesthesia if you want, you would definitely, yeah. you would definitely pay for it. Yeah. That's totally yeah. right. Um, well, fantastic. Uh, Justin, I'm a big fan. Um, we're going to keep listening to your podcast um, and recommending it out. Um, also, I think there's a couple of your favorite episodes that you're going to share with us. So our listeners yes, and I viewers will. can look for those links here. Um, and I'd love to have you back on sometime if you'd be open to it. Yeah, David, that'd be a lot of fun. I'd awesome. enjoy that. Great. Well, Justin, again, thank you so much for, for being on with us. Um, really appreciate it. Really appreciate the work that you're doing and the attention that you're paying to anesthesia. I think you're making a big difference. Thank you. It's been a pleasure speaking with you and look forward to doing it again. All right. Take care, Justin.